Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And I'm mad. She's mad. Uh, this is the Malthouse Games Podcast. We're all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort, and apparently Haley being mad. Yeah. Why? Because I really wanted a 4th of July-themed intro today. Just, like, slow it down, drop it down, like, half a step. Put in some fireworks and a couple of. Just, I need to somehow layer it with the like eighteen twelve overture. Yeah. So that way it sounds appropriate for that. Appropriate. Yes. Here, here's the thing. This comes out this weekend, not Fourth of July. Yeah, which but is the, next week. It's the last one before Fourth of July. That's true. This is our one shot. Well, Do not miss here, your chance. To here's the thing. Maybe in post, depending on time and effort. We can have something like that. Remember, opportunity comes just once in a lifetime. Thank you. We're going to get, like, copyright claimed uh, for you. <laughs> uh, yes, but anyway, we're here. We made it. We're alive. Episode 121, which is wild. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and crack the beer. Do you want to start talking about what we've been doing lately? Oh, yeah. We've been up to some hood rat stuff. So, first of all, Delton turned 31. I did. He's no longer 30, dirty, and dying. That was two days ago as of this recording, because we're recording Friday night. Yeah. And so what we did for Delton's birthday is we went down to the Wichita's to go camping, which was really fun. So the Wichita uh, Wildlife Refuge Center, it is the only reason there are still Longhorn cattle today. I guess back in the 1920s, Longhorn cattle were kind of seen as a nuisance. They were going extinct. And uh, somebody got a grant from federal government to send 300 of them to the Wichita's, just to preserve them. And every longhorn cow alive today can be traced back to the Wichita's. And it's really wild because you drive into the park and, like, they're just there. They're just chilling. We went on a hike and there was just a cow, longhorn cow, just eating cud, along with buffalo. Bison. Bison. Just kind of chilling, eating grass, being aggressive, coming to the car because we got a little too close. We were on the road. We were not off-roading. We were on the they road. They weren't being aggressive, but they were watching us because there were babies around them. We were just stopped in place. They were being place. assertive. They were being assertive, like, hey, we don't like you here. We said, okay, bye. Okay, bye. We, like, reversed it. Yeah. Uh, but we saw a groundhog. We saw raccoons. We had our little headlamps on, and our, our tent didn't have a rain fly on it, so we could see all around us. And you'd hear rustling, and you'd sit up, and you'd lock eyes with the raccoon, whose bright eyes would look back at you, little beady critters, and they'd look at you, and then scurry off, and then come back and try and steal your food out of the tent site. Yeah, it's the Wichita Mountain Wildlife Refuge down in South Oklahoma outside of Lawton and Fort Sill. And uh, it's a really nice place. Like Haley said, the bison and the longhorn uh, cows, longhorn cattle just walk around everywhere. There's prairie dogs in several different spots and just all forms of life form, uh, forms of life forms, uh, whatever. But there's, it's, re it's really neat because about, uh, if you look at a map of it, about 75% of the wildlife refuge, it has zero recreational use. It is fenced off and no one is allowed out there because that is wildlife refuge. It's doing what it's supposed to do. They're not allowed to be touched. You can't walk out there. Like unless something needs done for some reason, you're not allowed to go there. Uh, but then the other portion, like 25%, is recreational because they make their money from people like us who go camping and go into town and do all the different stuff. It's really nice, though. It's a great area. I would not go in the summer again, at least not camping in a tent. Which was more difficult to sleep through, the 90-degree nights or the feral hog? Uh, the 90-degree nights is the reason I was awake to hear that there was a pig nearby just breathing. And I was like, I don't like this guy. I'm going to go. <laughs> just, I don't trust him. I don't trust, I don't trust wild pigs. They're, they can, can be very aggressive, and they can be dangerous. I... Didn't think he really would be, but I wasn't going to stick around much longer because I already wasn't sleeping and that wasn't helping. So I was like, let's go get in the car. I'll kick on some AC and see if I can get a little sleep in the parking lot. Uh, this still didn't happen. I got about an hour of sleep that night. Miserable, but still a fun time. I want to go camping. We've already got it scheduled now in October to drive back down since it's we drive to my parents, drop the dog off. And then from their house, it's like an hour 20. So it's a short drive. We can go camping in October when it's nice and cool and go hiking while it's cool, and it'll be a great time. Yes, and so we had so much fun. Delton actually did get to catch up on sleep the next day, which is good. Yes, yeah, so, hey, uh, we woke up that night, went to my parents, 
visited. I had like a three and a half hour nap and then woke up sweating and was so hot and uncomfortable the rest of the day. I think I had a little heat exhaustion. Even though I was drinking water and eating food and staying in the shade, I think I just super overdid it. My body was like, no, dude, you were too hot for too long. But when we got home, I slept a straight 12 hours and it was glorious. And even though the Wichita's were hot, Delton's birthday Wednesday night was even hotter. It was. So Wednesday night, uh, I had planned for me and Haley uh, and my friend Brian and his wife Jessica came along. We were going to, uh, over at Quell Springs Mall here in Oklahoma City, they have the AMC 24, big 24 theater AMC. Uh, They were having a 40th anniversary of John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. I was very excited to see The Thing on a big screen, given when we got into the theater, it was a smaller than usual big screen, one of those small theaters. But still, it was going to be on the big screen, damn it. And uh, sadly, we didn't get to watch it. It was like a V, uh, uh, what, a DVR thing. So it kept saying like Dish Network business, Dish business. And it was obviously something that was just DVR and recorded off of Dish Network is what it felt like. So that was kind of a letdown by itself. But then they couldn't get it to play and it kept messing up and they couldn't get it to play. Uh, we never even got past the, like, we didn't even get through to the full title where it says the thing in the beginning. So we missed, like, we didn't even get to see that far. And finally, after so long, they said, we can't get it to work. We're going to download it to one of our projectors to play from there. We're hoping it can be done. Now, given this was going to start at 7, it's a Wednesday night. I'm already missing wrestling for this. Egad. 7.30, we're finally getting this news that it's not going to work. They were hoping to have it downloaded by 9 o'clock to be able to show it. We said, no, thank you. It's a freaking work night. I'm tired and old. So we all, everybody in the theater, whether they came back or not, got a free movie pass, basically. Like, hey, here's this. You get one free movie, whatever you want, whether it be IMAX, 3D, whatever. It works. We were like, all right, we'll take it. So we leave the little theater room and start walking down. And we're like, man, somebody burned some popcorn. I made the joke. No, that's the DVR. That's why it wasn't working. And we're walking down. We go to the little service desk and get in the big line. And we look over and the popcorn machine's just smoking. We're like, oh, man, they are burning some popcorn. And then we look, and the popcorn machine's on fire. Like, legitimate two to three foot flames in the popcorn machine. Just, like, licking the air, flickering all over the place. Well, the thing is, those popcorn machines on the front toward the place where you purchase are open. Yeah. There's no doors. It's just flames. And there's a lady waiting there with her popcorn bucket (laughs) at the counter. (laughs) She's standing at the counter unfazed. It's like, this is going to be remedied soon, and I will get my popcorn. No, ma'am. It's just, it was like, what in the world? It was like, of course... This theater, after that experience, is having this happen. So the stupid popcorn machine's on fire. <laughs> literally on fire. It's one of those things where like your brain registers what's going on, yeah. but you can't really comprehend what is going on, especially Ugh. because the flames are getting higher and higher. And I, at one point, they're about five feet long, like licking almost the ceiling. Smoke is billowing, but the worst yeah. part is... No smoke alarms or sprinklers are going off. Nothing. We're just like sitting in a world of OSHA violations waiting for our, yeah. our passes. I'm like, well, you know, we've already, it's a sunk cost fallacy. We've already been in line so long. We can, we can withstand a fireball next to us to get our passes. And the best part was the employees are like looking at the fire and then like looking around and then looking at the fire. And we're like, somebody put the damn thing out. Just don't throw water on it. And they're like looking around. And the, one of the guys, he walks over. And he looks at the fire extinguisher and he looks at the fire and then he opens the door to the fire extinguisher and then he looks at the fire and then he pulls it out and he sets it on the counter and he takes like five, 10 seconds to figure out how to get the pin and stuff out. And then as the manager's like almost sprinting over, he just luckily, I mean, credit to him. He did one quick and the fire was out. I mean, he nailed it. People were cheering. People like started clapping. It was really funny. But the manager, oh God, me and Brian lost it. He, the manager's like, what happened? And they're like, we don't know. It was just on fire kind of thing. And he turns and starts to walk away, and he just whole face palms himself and just has this look of like, why am I even here anymore? And we felt so bad. We're like, dude, just quit. <laughs> we were laughing so hard. Luckily, nobody was injured. The fire was fine. They kicked on the other popcorn machine to keep popcorn going. Uh, but it was just, after not getting to see the movie, I paid and wanted to see... And then, yeah, we're going to get a voucher, but like kind of a want want on my birthday. And then the stupid popcorn machine is on fire in the lobby. I was like, God damn it. What is happening here? And so we just, we experienced that. However, 
Brian and Jessica still got me an awesome McCready action figure from The Thing, which is uh, Kurt Russell's character, the main guy. And then we got to go to Rough Tail Brewery and have some beers and played some Sushi Go on Brian's phone, pass and play, and just chat. And it was a really good time. But we came that, back home, watched Shaun of the Dead. We came back home, had a couple Topo Chico seltzers, probably shouldn't have, and then watched about half of Shaun of the Dead, finished all the movie theater bucket of popcorn. I didn't feel so good the day after, but that's okay. Yeah, that's how I know I'm not young and spry, and also I don't drink very much, because over a five-hour period, I had four beers, and I was asleep. Yeah, you passed out on the couch. I'm over here watching Shaun of the Dead, and about halfway through, I was like, I'm getting tired. I got to pause this. And then I look at the clock, and I'm like, it's only 11. (laughs) We're old. You had a full night. I mean. It was a good, you know, even though I didn't get to see the thing in theaters, it was still a good birthday. So there wasn't anything bad about it, but it was still like, what in the world is happening? Of course, this welcome to 31 is what the world (laughs) said. Uh, Well, let's get into the beer here because we have this poured and it's just getting warmer and warmer. Uh, So this is from New Belgium Brewing, which is up out of, shoot, where is New Belgium out of? I think it's in Colorado, isn't it? Fort Collins, Colorado, and Asheville, North Carolina. Blessed. I didn't know they had two. This is a version of Voodoo Ranger called Future Hop IPA. It's a very pretty dark uh, purple and like blue can. Um, Voodoo Ranger, give me some information here. 12 fluid ounces. I know that 8% alcohol by volume. And I don't see any other things except that it's an IPA. Well, there we go. Uh, We're going to put this can. Let's try this beer out, Haley. Voodoo Ranger. I, I have high hopes for this because Voodoo Ranger has never let me down. It's always been some of my most favorite IPAs. I am very excited about this. I hope that I love it now that I've talked it up for the last 15 seconds. New Belgium always does good. This is a nice hazy, well, okay, not really hazy. It's a very faint haze in it, but it's a nice, calm, kind of yellowed color. It's the color of Amarillo. You can smell the hops in it. They're very gentle. That's a damn fine IPA. So that one, you get that citrusy a little bit, but it almost has it almost has a citrusy flavor that's more of like the flesh of a citrus fruit, mm-hmm. of like an orange. Normally you get that very like, citrus zest real sharp real tart like the rind but th- yeah but this actually has more of like what you would expect from the flesh a little sweet a little a little more full-bodied than i expected based off smell and it tastes really juicy too you know like some beers whenever you take a drink like it leaves a dry taste or it leaves like a bitter taste this tastes very juicy it does like after i drink my mouth is watering a lot so i think you're right it, it is like the the flesh the juicy part of an orange it does it's, it's pretty interesting and i like it it's really good it's but like a tangerine i've also it kind of is yeah I've really never been disappointed by New Belgium. Like, they're a bigger company, but they always make solid beers, so I'm never upset by that. Prost. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess with that being said, we can move into the game and see if we can, uh, I don't know, explain it well. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's... It's a game. That was a segue with some square tires. That is the best segue you've heard <laughs> all day, ma'am. It's the only one I've heard all day. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. So today, for the game of this episode, it's going to be very simple. This will honestly be a pretty quick uh, little game section. This is Cobra Paw Points of Play, which I think that's actually the rulebook name. Cobra Paw, there you go, ninja-like know-how steals the game. And even though it is a cobra in the game name, it is a kid. Well, excuse me, hiccup. It is a a kid? (laughs) Kitty on the box. It is a kitty on the box. I'm a sud. So Cobra Paw. It's a game from Bananagrams. It actually says games grown by Bananagrams. And if you rem- if you know, uh, Bananagrams is some sort of word game where the packaging is literally a little zip-up banana. I've never played it. It's kind of like an alternate to Scrabble. I have no clue. But it's made by the same people uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. The game design is by Derek Weston. Art direction and layout is by Laura Incatasciato. Story is by Anthony George. Illustrations. There's an at symbol here. I don't know how to read that. I'm going to pretend it's an A. Elijja Artists? It looks like it's probably a group. It's like E-L-I, the at symbol. Uh, at symbol, I don't know what that's actually called. I know there's a name for it. And then K-J-A, dash artists. Sounds like an art group. Yeah. I just don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, and then the creative exploration is by Kendra Harrington. It says feedback, test, and lots of finger-stabbing fun by the rest of our Bananagrams Inc. bunch, and it says, winner, a winner is you, which is always the way to go. So Cobra Paw is a very simple game. You can play with two to six people in Cobra Paw, and the way it works is there are two dice. Each of the die 
have a different colored symbol around it. Let me see if I can get, uh, there they are. There's a white square. There are two green horseshoe looking shapes, three lines that are yellow, a square with lines in it that's kind of got cat ears that's an orange box. It looks like one of those fancy pretzels, like the square ones with the window pane. it kind of does. But it's orange. There's the blue flower, and then there is the red kanji. I just realized I don't know what that red kanji says, and I'm going to try to find out as I discuss this. So those are different colors in the game. So it might actually, I don't think it's an actual kanji, but it looks kind of like one. I think it's it's basically a a cross with like a mark in each corner coming off the cross. Yeah. But anyway, the way the game is going to work is very, very, very simple. You only play with one finger on, on your hand, whichever hand. Whoever has the smallest hands is the one to start the game. It says smallest pause. And they roll the dice. And then depending on what comes up, let's say it's the white square and the red kanji looking shape. If those two things come up, then you find in the, I forget, 21 tiles in the center of the table. You have them all face up, mixed around in a pile, but all face up. You look and you say, okay, there's the white and red one. As fast as you can, reaction time, you're going to use your one finger to try to claim that tile by putting your finger down first, preferably closest to the center of that tile where the little there's a little divot in all these tiles. They're kind of like a domino, basically. It's a domino, but it's got a divot in the center and they're a little bit bigger than a domino. Then you would now claim that tile. That's yours. You now have the white and red tile. Then if you're the one who took a tile, you roll the dice. If I roll the dice and it comes up double blue and Haley gets it, she's now got double blue. Then if Haley rolls the dice now that she took that last tile, she rolls it and it comes up as the white red tile. And I forget it's in front of me. Haley can grab it out from under me if she's fast enough. And now she has it to put in front of her. Which happened to me like once and happened to Delton like 45 times because he kept stealing my tiles. I did keep stealing your tiles. Uh, But that's really the whole game. It's all roll the dice and try to react quickly to make sure that you either hold on to what you've already got or steal it from somebody else or take it from the center. But I like it because it's a dexterity game. It doesn't require a lot of dexterity. Like you're having to move quickly and you're having to you know, just use one finger, but you don't have to worry about knocking things over, really theoretically speaking. Uh, you just got to not stab uh, too much at the table or else you're going to knock the dominoes around. At least on a slick table, yeah. Uh, it says in a normal game, it's the first person, uh, the little, so the dominoes are called Klafuku stones, and the dice are the Cat Nippon dice, which oh is just God. Cat Japan as a word, Cat Japan Beautiful. dice. Uh, I looked up Fuku. Fuku in Japanese means clothes, and so this says they are called Klafuku, so claw clothes. I bet there's a translation there that if you know how Fuku works, maybe those come together and it's like, Claw marked stones or something. You know what I mean? I don't know, but then what does Momofuku mean? Is peach something? Is it peach clothes? Maybe. I think we're about to tangent for a minute. There's there's something. There's some way to use fuku. F u k u is the pronunciation. I'm gonna go go gadget Google. You keep explaining the game. You do that. So in a normal game, it's the first person for six stones. In a two player game, there it's the first to eight stones, unless you have the two ninja standoff, which is to eleven stones. Uh, there's a couple variations, uh, which it's not a big deal. One of them is no touchy. If you touch a stone after the dice have been rolled that isn't the correct one, you can't take it even if you get the correct one. Uh, and then they have ghosts of the fallen is what it's called. Um, you remove one to five planks from the pool. When the dice rolls one of those, the first player to shout Cobra Paw gets to take one from that set, which is kind of funny. So... Fuku can mean clothes. It can also mean luck or blessings. That's why Momofuku is Lucky Peach. Okay, there you go. Maybe it's like Lucky So die. this is Clawfuku. It's the, it's the tiles. Or Lucky Tiles. It could be Lucky Tiles or something like that for sure. Uh, and then the dice are basically the Japanese cat dice is essentially what you can say. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, that's literally the entire, the entire rules of the game. It's not difficult, it's very simple, it's cute, and if you like any kind of dexterity-style games with reaction speeds, I find this fits in that category well, but what I told Haley I like about it, because we've played some games, which we'll bring up, um, that kind of work like this, but one I'm going to mention because it's very popular, it's on shelves at Target, is Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. It plays like a lot of games where you play something down and it's about being fast, right? In that game, you play a card and you say, Taco, Cat, 
and you say goat and cheese, pizza, and you go around just repeating that until somebody plays something. I think it's when you play something like, what was it, like gorilla or hippo or something, and then you have to do a reaction quickly and do something. I can't handle those games. I don't have the reaction time. My brain doesn't comprehend that that speed. I just, I've never been good at them. But Cobra Paw to me works differently because you're, everybody rolls the dice. And instead of you playing a card and trying to watch what somebody's playing and watch what somebody's playing, there's something to me that's easier about watching these two dice roll and the faces come up and you'll be like, boom, yellow, orange. And you immediately start scanning the field for yellow, orange. You might know that you've got it, but you might forget that you have it, right? But I like that aspect of you're looking at what they're doing, but instead of instead of the reaction being, I recognize that reaction and now I have to slap the table or I have to do some funky gesture. It's now I have to find it. I think that's the disconnect for me in most games that doesn't click or is difficult for me. But in this game, it's visually I have to identify where that's at before anything else happens. And I feel like rather than the identification and the action needing to be simultaneous, there's a small step between them. And maybe that, does that make sense at all? I'm not, I'm not playing a card or watching somebody play a card. And at the same time they're playing it, I have to visually understand and physically act so fast or I lose. Where this game, you get to visually see the colors and then you have that like half a second or more to where you're like, where is it? And everyone stops to look to where it is. Yeah, I think you were saying earlier when we were playing, like everyone's on the same page because, you know, somebody's not having the card. Okay, I can can plan for playing this card. Yeah. Like you roll the dice, everybody gets the same information at the same time. Like you said, it's it's not a necessarily a reaction. It's who can spot it first and then react. So you're not just relying on reaction on itself. You're relying on that searching, which I think you were saying like evens the playing field a bit. Unless you're like me and you put your glasses on and your contacts and you can't see worth a flip. Like a six-year-old is going to totally kick my butt at this game. That sounds right. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing is if you're good at visual things like that, you can be like, boom, boom, found it. That gets you ahead of everybody else. And then somebody else could be faster at reacting. But if they're slower at spotting it, that's going to balance it out. But I, I enjoy that. I think that's a fun element in games is when they have that slight separation for me. But that's just because I'm better at that. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you're saying like, you know, someone might be better at spotting versus someone's better at reacting. Like for Delton, he w- he could spot, like he was saying earlier, you know, you could steal from the other person's hand and he would spot my hand really quickly, quicker than I would spot my own hand. But I would catch him because oftentimes I would beat him to my own tile. Yeah, I couldn't get my hand over there to your stuff fast enough. So I still have the reaction time, baby. That kept me from being totally demolished, even though I lost both games. Yeah, I've got super slow reaction time a lot of the times. It's bad. But I mean, that's and that's that, that's basically Cobra Paw. It's we've played it before with family uh, with four players and it's the same thing. It's just a little bit more hectic. Um, there's a few small rules like don't hide the stones, the little domino tile things that you've got. Don't cover them. Don't use two hands. Don't try to block people. You know, the basic uh, simple rules like that. But it's a simple game, but it's also a fun game. It's the perfect game to play with a younger audience. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. Now that's a segue with round tires. That is a segue with round tires. Maybe flat on a few sides, but it's fine. <laughs> it's rolling. But today, for the topic of the episode... Uh, we wanted to talk about games for kids. Now, we've talked a lot in the past about uh, adapting games for kids, modifying them, changing them, including kids or younger members of the family. But this is more specifically about actual games that are built for children or for younger audiences. Yeah, so these would be the games that uh, you know you would pick up for a six-year-old or for an eight-year-old. And really why I wanted to do this topic was because it's summer break. And I remember... For me as a kid, you know, I, I stayed a lot with my grandparents or I stayed with my grandma who was working at a church. And that's kind of how we kept ourselves entertained was games. And I remember we had a bunch of games, but we had like Sequence and we had Monopoly. And yeah, we could play those as a kid, but how much does a kid really enjoy those games? Those are really games geared towards adults, logic and reasoning games. And so what I wanted to talk about today was games that are made for kids. Kid, games, of course, that, you know, us adults enjoy, like Cobra Paw. It took Delta and I two minutes to play, but it was really fun, even though I lost. 
And so that's why I wanted to bring that up today is what is what are some games that we can bring out to the kids for summer? And I think what we're really talking about is ages what, five to eleven today? Probably the the kids that the kids that likely aren't just gonna be riding their bikes around town with their friends in a small town, but they're still old enough that they can either be by themselves or they're close to that age for a while. Like I feel like five's a little early. But maybe six to seven is when you're like, I'm going to run to the store. It'll be 30 minutes. Just, you know, keep the door locked. Like, I feel like, is that the right age or am I way off? Well. <laughs> I don't know my ages and my, uh, that stuff. So here, here's a little, so technically, no, that wouldn't be an age that we would leave. You can tell we're not parents. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be an age that we would leave a kid. Okay. But uh, you would think probably about 12 or so in Oklahoma. Kids can legally be left alone and watch other kids at age 12. Okay. And so maybe like these would be the games that the kids can play by themselves, but still with like adult supervision kind of in the area. I was a little younger than that at home. Now at age 12, <laughs> I, was, I was in charge of other children. Like I was babysitting babies at age 12. So I do not doubt that one bit. I was also driving at age 12, like go to town and get stuff. So I mean, I just keep thinking back to when I was like eight or nine. And it would be an ice storm, and I would just I would have on my boots and my coveralls, and I would have a baseball bat. And my mom's just like, "Don't hit your head." And I would just run around outside, knocking the ice off the fence, and beating up on tree limbs, knocking the ice off, and running around and falling on stuff. But I, you know, also kind of different times. And yeah, I was a country kid, so it was like, you know, just don't eat the dirt. I don't care if you're playing it; just don't eat it. Let's see, I think it was, so, and I'll tell a story later in the episode, but like at seven or eight, we would be left alone kind of to our own devices outside for a few hours at a time. And then by age 12, we were driving and like, I was earning money babysitting. And like nowadays, I'm like, oh God, I would not trust a 12-year-old with a child. That is a child. No, not at all. But I never killed any kid. No kid died under my watch. So, so far, so good. But- Let's talk today about the games we probably should have been given as a kid or that we really would have enjoyed or that I think that kids today, these kids these days would really enjoy. And one of those is Cobra Paw. Cobra Paw is just simple. I think something with kids is getting physically involved. When a, uh, when a, when a, a, a child or a member of your family is younger and, you know, I feel like younger kids, that their mind is a lot better used in, in imagination, right? And I don't know if better used is the right term, but when it's a younger child, and I think of like eight and under. You think make-believe. They do a lot of make-believe, right? As they get older, they stop doing more, that, that much make-believe, but their mind kicks in in other ways. And, but I almost feel like the main component that can keep all of that, those different age groups' attention is the physical aspect. There has to be something physical for a lot of those children, or else it's not fun. If they're just thinking, little kids are going to start imagining, and it's going to be you know, more fun and goofy that way. Older kids are probably going to get a little bored depending on the thinking, or it'll be too much thinking where they don't find it fun. Is so, it, does that make sense? Yeah. So you want something that is a little more tangible, but also something that is shorter too. It can keep their attention. Yes. They can easily teach it, but also has like that tangible element where they're they're playing with something and they're engaging in something in some way. It's not just this abstract thought. Because abstract thought, you know, the abstract thought that it takes to you know, play a Euro game or playing three or four rounds in advance, that's not really starting to develop until age 12. And so we're talking about games that kids can play where it doesn't require a lot of abstract thought. It does possibly take thinking or planning or problem solving, but you're not having to sit there and strategize for 20 minutes before you play. It's things that you can easily teach. Kids can easily teach each other and that are very engaging for kids between, I say, like five to 11 or 12. Exactly. And I think that nails it. Um, so a, a lot of it for me is going to be coming down to, like I said, that, that physical, tangible aspect that you said. To me, that's the big critical essential mark for a kid's game. Something they can touch and move and feel at any age is even, I mean, heck, even now, the fun part of, you know, doing a massive, ridiculous Euro game is I'm going to push this cube over here and move this cube over here and then place, ooh, a big cube. Like, that's fun, right? Physical aspects are fun. And so one that I really like to use, and uh, I used to use this when I was in person in, in therapy with kids as a reward game, is uh, Kitty Paw. So keeping on brand with the kitty games. And so Kitty Paw is a game where you have different tiles of different kitty cats, and you draw 
a, a card. You draw a card, and on that card, it is a collection of kitties in a different orientation. And it's a race to see who can orient their kitties in that fashion as soon as possible. Now, I've played that as young as seven, and I've played that as old as like 12 or 13 um, with, you know, client kids. But we as adults like to play that, too. That's one of my favorite, like, puzzly problem-solving games. But that one's really fun because, one, it's cute. Two, it's easy to teach. And three, you know, it's easy to play. A kid can play around in two minutes, three minutes or so, and then they can be done. Or they can play over and over and over again. Yeah, it's a it's a great game that has that. Uh, it's got a physical component. It has a little bit of a thought component. And depending on the prompt cards you use, it could either be very simple or very complicated. But then adults are also entertained by it. So if you're playing it with a young member of your family, then you're also having fun. And I like it too because like Cobra Paw, I'm imagining like a 10-year-old explaining it to another 10-year-old is you roll the dice, you have to be the first one to find the, the matching tile, and you touch it with one finger. With a Kitty Paw, basically you lay the card down, make that. And yeah. like that's, that's the rules of the game. It's something another 10-year-old can explain to another 10-year-old easily. Yeah, and I think that's, that is a good line for uh, how these games work, right? Uh, one of the games that come to mind for me every time, and really it's anything from Haba, H-A-B-A. Haba makes, I mean, they've got a ton of stuff specifically tailored for children. One of their biggest games ever is just Rhino Hero. You're simply stacking up cards that are like building pieces and trying to stack them and not knock it over. So it's kind of like Jenga, but you're not removing any from down under. Um, but Rhino Hero is a very simple game. It's easy. Stack these, don't knock it down. Flip a card, tells you how many to put, right? Nice and simple, easy for kids to teach each other, but also an easy concept. I am going to say, uh, I don't know when this ends. Okay, it ends Monday, June 27th. So if you're listening to this episode, on Sunday when it comes out, you have 24 uh, hours. The like eight or nine people that do, uh, it looks like they are having a 20% off site-wide sale right now on Haba. And that's at HabaUSA.com. And they mark all their toys, 0 to 12 months, 12 to 24 months, 2 to 3 years, 3 to 5 years, 5 to 8 years, and then 8 years plus. And they've got toys and uh, games and puzzles and all kinds of stuff. So I wanted to make sure to shout that out as well. What was the blue-orange one you were talking about earlier, too? Uh, blue-orange, that was uh, uh, Dr. Eureka. Yes, Dr. Eureka. And Dr. Beaker. Yeah, so Dr. Eureka is another one that I played with kids as like a, a reward in sessions, but also helped with the abstract thought. So it's another pattern game. So you draw a card, your your beakers have a pattern that you have to make, and you have to take your beakers, which have different colored marbles inside, and move the marbles one at a time in order to make that pattern. Now, with that one, I, I learned... And in session, like it might take me a you know, couple of times explaining the rules. As you can tell, I'm usually not the one who explains the rules as Delton. So it takes me a couple of times to explain the rules to kids. But once they play one round, they've got it. And I've actually seen other kids teach uh, each other how to play it, too. And so that one I've played as young as seven again. But even me as an adult, uh, I remember we got it for Delton's nephew, Tyler, whenever he was younger. And he kicked our butt at it a couple of times, too. He did. Like, kids grasp it really quickly. I have a hard time with that one. So it's the kind of game where each of these little vials, they have three marbles in them of different colors. So you have to think, okay, with all these marbles, you have to have one uh, one or two or all of them look like this picture. So you're saying, okay, this one's got three. I'm going to pour the top one that's blue off into this other one, which leaves me with purple-yellow. If I pour the purple off, then yellow's the last one. I need to find a red on top to pour the red into this one to make it red than yellow. And so you're having to do this juggle of figuring out which colors go where and it's very fun it can be very frustrating it is for me because i get those games get to me every time it's like i start looking okay i could do this or this or this or that and then i get overloaded uh but definitely a good game that you can use for kids and dr beaker i don't know exactly how it plays but it's a similar concept now blue orange in general i'm on their website right now they have all kinds of games for different age groups, including younger ones. So one of the games, and I've heard this is very good for kids, is called Bye Bye Mr. Fox. It is targeted at ages five and up, one to four players. It says, and they even, what I like on their website for their games, they talk about the skills that the game utilizes or builds. 
This is fine motor, focus and attention, social play, and cooperation. And so that's what Bye Bye Mr. Fox has. Uh, but Blue Orange, uh, their their website is blueorangegames.com. All of their games you look at, ages 4 and up, ages 6 and up, 7 and up, 10 and up, 8 and up, 4 and up. And they have a bunch of different games and puzzles and little activities and things like that uh, to do with all different age groups. So I highly also recommend Blue Orange. Those are probably the two companies. Anytime someone says, what company makes good kids games? I'm pointing them to those two, Haba and Blue Orange, every time. Just because that's kind of where their market focus mostly is. But they're very good. Yeah, and so whether it is a Haba game, a Blue Orange game, or any of the kitty games that we've talked about today. What about the last kitty game? Oh, the last kitty game. It is uh, the, the, the one that Nick and Jennifer gave us. Yep. Uh, g- g- kitty. Kitten Clash. Kitten Clash. With both, both with Ks. Yes. Yeah. Kitten Clash. It's been a while since we've played this one now. Um, Kitten Clash is basically you have two different colors. There's like a blue cat uh, color and a pink cat color, color, something like that, right? Basically, you're playing cards in the same uh, timing. So we're both going to place one card, one card, one card, place it, place it, place it. You find a rhythm that works for you. And what it is, is when you place that card, if uh, you're going to place three in a small row and your opponent is going to place three next, basically touching yours. So there's three on your side, three on their side. The cards are almost touching. Anytime cards next to each other are a matching color, you have to slap those two cards. And in slapping those two cards, I think you either claim them or get points. I really would have to look at it. It's been a minute. But it's a very simple one that with a younger kid, you could slow the timing down so that way their motor skills as they work through, flip the cards over, and then there's that visual cue. I think that would be another one that you could easily play with a younger family member and have a good time, and they would enjoy it too. Yeah, so and, and like I was saying, you know, whether it is the uh, Blue Orange games or the Hobby games or any of these beautiful kitty games we play, or, or something else. I think a good rule of thumb for picking out games for those ages, you know, especially if you want the kids to be able to play amongst themselves or teach their neighbor friends, you know, or teach their, their siblings while they're home on summer vacation. Think about games that are, like Delton said, have some sort of movement or some sort of tangible object that they're using, more concrete. Uh, think about games that take maybe one or two sentences to explain because kids aren't going to want to explain long games and kids aren't going to want to listen to their friends explain long games. And also think about games that are more shorter, maybe at most 15, 20 minutes or so, something Probably. that will keep their attention because kids don't have to necessarily play long games to have fun. You know, maybe they can play a game once and then go off and play something else. Maybe they really like a game and play it four, five, six times in an afternoon. But make sure it's short. That way that keeps their interest and they can actually end with a winner. And I think one thing to keep in mind, too, is you know your kids best or your family members likely. Sometimes a kid will need a game that's targeted a little lower for games. Sometimes a kid will be able to take something much higher. You will be able to adapt and find that balance. And that's something to keep in mind. Like if if you buy a game that's made for a 10-year-old and up for a 10-year-old, they may grasp it immediately or they may struggle with it. But that's something that you'll find out and you'll kind of be able to work around. But luckily, in this board game world we're at right now, there are thousands of options of games. And I we may have named, you know, a couple different games we like, a couple things like Cobra Paw and Kitten Clash or companies like Haba and Blue Orange. There's so much more. You'll be able to find something that works for you, something that fits the levels, and you can make adaptations and flex it all around. But in the end, you'll be able to find something that you can play uh, with family or with friends and have a good time. And a great way to start to explore these games is if you can, you know, going to a board game cafe yeah, or going to a library. A lot of libraries have uh, board games on the shelves now. And some libraries too can do interlibrary loans. So if your library doesn't necessarily have a game, if they're part of an interlibrary loan program, maybe they can get a game. That way you guys can play it without having to pay for it first. That's a good idea. I didn't think about that. Um, and then I guess... Uh, I don't know how many there are kids-specific, but there are a lot of board game companies that are producing apps of their board games. And a lot of, like 99% of those, if not all of them, work on an iPad. And a lot of people now have iPads or tablets of some sort, right? Or at least for kids, they generally have some sort of tablet. Um, I think that there are kids' versions of games that are also tablet-focused. So maybe if you 
you know, have that, but you don't have access to the board games or you want to try something for a buck or two before you buy it or something, uh, that might be a way I, you might have to aim a little higher age at that, I guess at that point. I don't know. I don't know. Lakin can run an iPad better than my parents can. That's true. Uh, but that's something to keep in mind as well, that that's, that is a potential alternative there. Well, in the end, we hope that the kids have a great summer. I know Delta and I were doing a little bit of reminiscing about our summer vacations before this podcast episode. But, you know, if games, if your kids are into games, you know, maybe this is a, um, hopefully we brought you some other ideas to introduce the kids to. So that way you can get them converted into the hobby and they can also have a board game addiction growing up. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. Uh, let's crack this last beer that I kind of forgot about uh, real quick. And that way we can taste it here for the, the, the final question and, and ending of the episode. So this is from Mountain Fork Brewery down in Hochatown, Oklahoma. Whenever we went down to Broken Bow and uh, did all that down by the uh, Beaver's Bend. Beaver's Bend? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I got my beaver pants on. You do. Perfect. So this is from Mountain Fork Brewery. This is Crumpet, an English-style brown ale. Uh, it says here... Established in 2015, our water comes from the pristine Mountain Fork River. We believe that a good, uh, from a good source comes a good beer. Our goal is to produce easy-drinking, creatively crafted beers with you in mind. This is a 5.5% alcohol by volume. So much less than the last beer at 8. Okay, so this one has a nice amber look to it. You really can't see hardly any light through it. It's a little darker than I thought. It smells like molasses. Good head retention. There is some molasses and like that caramelized sugar smell. Oh, that smells wonderful. Let's give that a taste. It's a full-bodied, still nice carbonation, but not heavy. What are those cookies? Oh, the Biscoff cookies. It tastes like a Biscoff cookie. Yeah, I can see that. It's got a little bit of that, that cookiness, that biscuit. I wonder if they have biscuit malt in here a little bit. Mm. Uh, it is an English-style brown ale, and I feel like a lot of the English-style, um, I could be wrong. I am I am not an expert nor professional, but I feel like a lot of the English style uses biscuit malt. I like biscuit malt a lot in um, wintry, more fall, which this kind of is, more fall or wintry flavors because it adds that little bit of Christmas cookie taste to me. Yeah, so it has like that, that Christmas cookie taste, but then the, the finish is a bit drier than I was expecting. It is much drier. I wonder if that also comes from the English side of it because I feel like English beers tend to finish dry. I mean, you think of a uh, an English bitter or a uh, an ESB or any of the other like English beers we've had. I feel like they tend to linger on that dry side versus, you know, like that IPA we had that just finished very juicy and full flavored and full bodied. I like it. That's a really good beer. So that's Crumpet from Mountain Fork Brewery. Well, for the question of this episode, Haley thought the best option to go was going to be, or I guess is, what is your favorite summer vacation memory? And by summer vacation, she means off of school as a kid. Yeah, so I remember uh, whenever I was a kid uh, watching the, was it the Tiny Toon Adventure summer vacation? And how everybody like wrote stories about what they did on summer vacation, really meaning summer break. And so that's kind of the angle I was going at. What was your favorite memory from your summer break as a kid? So for me, uh. Feels like we had a lot of summer breaks as a kid. Like that was most of my childhood, but I don't know if I just repressed memories from my school days or what. But my favorite one, now I don't know how much of a child I was. Uh, I was old enough to ride a bike around town while mom was working and I was staying at grandma's house. But I had my BMX mongoose bike from Walmart that I had for the longest time. Oh, hell yeah. And me and Tanner, uh, we got on our bikes, we were riding around, and we decided uh, this is how far back it was. So the town I grew up in, Geary, uh, north of Geary, like. I don't know, five minutes, is a small, 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 small town called Greenfield. Now, Greenfield is tiny. Used to have a school. Uh, it has now officially been torn down. I don't remember what year they did that. Um, but it's a little bitty small town. It was mostly farmers. Um, it's not necessarily dilapidated, but it's not in a great state at the moment. But uh, back in this time, the highway going out to Greenfield, which continued past it to Watonga, was two-lane. The whole way through. Right now it's four lane. So this was a moment when they were building the other two lanes. They had already done one side to make sure it was good, right? They were doing the other side. So me and Tanner hopped on our bikes and decided we're just going to ride out as far as we can. 
And we got all the way to the end of what they had built on that new two lane side. And oh since my it, god! Since it was new construction, uh, since it was new construction, there was nobody on the road. It wasn't drivable, so we could just ride without having to worry about it. I think we rode from our like. If I look back at it now, it was probably close to like two to three miles out, because Greenfield's a good. I mean, five minutes at 65 miles an hour, it's a good ways out there. I think it was two to three miles. I think we passed American Horse Road, which is the first big road out of town, but for sure. But we got a ways, and then we turned around and came back. And we came back, and the streetlights were on, and it was starting to get toward dark. Not dark, like not sunset, but damn close. Uh, Mom was not too happy. (laughs) She was very upset. You're supposed to be back by streetlights before the streetlights come on. I was like, you never told me that. Uh, but that was a very fun time riding bikes with Tanner around town. And I remember doing that as a kid. We did it a lot. We used to drive through. This is my other big memory I just remembered. We used to ride our bikes through the uh, whatever the bank. Bank of Western Oklahoma, their drive through is right in the middle of downtown. And when you drive through it, there's this little thing that you could jump your bike off of. But it's in the drive through, and they only have one lane. So they'd yell at you like, get out of here. We're like, sorry. And we'd have to like drive off somewhere else. Pretty funny. But I just remember that. So for you, it seems like the exhilaration of like that independence and adventure with your friend was really what made that memory special. Yeah, me and Tanner used to ride our bikes around town all the time. That was just a big part of my childhood in the summers. What about you, Haley, now that that was a 30-minute story? Well, that was a good story. Thank you for sharing that, Del. It sounds like you had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. No, for me, it was I was about eight years old. So at this point, my cousin Cody was eight. I was eight. My cousin Kayla, his older sister, was 10. And my sister Riley was six. And we, my grandparents had a dairy farm and a big pasture. And I remember getting up one morning. We, grandma made us egg sandwiches. We ate our egg sandwiches. We packed up some peanut butter and jelly and some snacks and my backpack. And we took off down to the creek. And we probably left about eight o'clock at that morning and didn't come back to about five o'clock that night. We hiked across the pasture, went down to the creek bed, played in the mud, went swimming in the creek ate our sandwiches on the bank, went swimming again, and just had the absolute best time. I, I, I remember that day clear, clear as day, I guess you'd say. But uh, I remember we, we got out of the water. We're just soaking wet. Our tummies are full. And then a water moccasin just goes <laughs> across the water. And we took off running back to the house. And we knew we were in trouble. One, because we were supposed to be back by lunchtime. Two, because we weren't supposed to get into the creek. Three, because we weren't supposed to go that far in general. And so we made it back to Grandma's house, and she yelled at us, and she threw us all in the bathtub and got us clean. But that was one of the first times in my life that I remember thinking, I'm knowingly breaking the rules, but I know this is worth it. And like looking back, I know I broke the rules. Yep. Oh, my God, but we had so much fun. That's funny. I remember those days where you had to, a timeline or a curfew or a place you weren't supposed to go, but by golly, it was worth it. I mean, Grandma didn't come looking for us. We would have heard the four-wheeler. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So we were fine. She knew we were fine. We just got a tongue lashing. She never told my mom and dad. We just had the best time. I feel like that was the that was the thing with us as kids growing up in western Oklahoma. Uh, different types of country living. Yes, you were, you were way more country. I was more farm. Yours was more farm, yes. And mine was just more, we just live out here because we're poor. Like, (laughs) it was a a little bit of a different attitude, but we had similar things where the fun of living in the country was, I'm going to go down here to the canyon and run around in the trees and try not to die. And that was was our childhood and what we did. We had a trampoline. Tornadoes always threw it around when the winds came through, bent it all up. I can think of like five times in my life where I probably should have died as a kid. Oh, for sure. But kids are squishy and they survive. We survived. We're malleable, but we're also buoyant. Yes. We're I, don't, also, I don't know of a better term. <laughs> we're also 30 because we're, we're, we're getting older. It's like, yeah, when I was a kid, I hiked 15 miles uphill to the creek, and I spent all day in the creek and ate nothing but dirt and frog legs. There you go. I did have frog legs. Mm-hmm. Who didn't? That, uh, a lot of people didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so there you go. There's our favorite uh, little summertime story as a kid. When Haley first pitched this idea to me, she said, yeah, favorite summer vacation. I said, Haley, we didn't take summer vacations. We were poor. And she was like, no, 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 stupid. Off of school. I was like, oh, okay. She didn't actually call me stupid, but I said that anyway in my brain. But yeah, so there you go. There's that. There's the episode. 
uh, I think that's all of that stuff. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Allen, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to be like them and be awesome supporters of the show, you can head to patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games. We have plenty of other supporters on there, just not at the level in which get shouted out on the show, and you can be like any one of them if you would like to. Make sure to follow us on all social media, and by all, I mean currently Instagram and and Twitter, because I've deactivated Facebook just for a mixture of my own sanity and the fact that it's the least productive uh, 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 social media platform for me to be on. So at the moment it's the de- it's deactivated, but you can find us everywhere else at Malthouse Games, M A L T H A U S Games. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D E L T O N B R A C K. You can find Haley at S Q U I R R E L Y G E E K. That is at Squirrely Geek. If you have a game you think we need to cover on the show, a topic you want us to talk about, a question for us to answer, or if there are beers nearby you want us to find and drink make sure to send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. And then you can also head over to shop.malthousegames.com if you want to buy a t-shirt with our logo on it, a beer glass with our logo on it, a sticker with our logo on it, or a fanny pack, you guessed it, with our logo on it. I'm going to give everybody a challenge this episode. What's that? I would like everybody to, everybody listening, to do something to indulge your inner child. For the next two weeks. There you go. Like, go get a snow cone. Like, do something that you did in summer vacation that you love. Like, go get a snow cone. I don't know. Go for a walk around the neighborhood. You know, light off fireworks. Blow up a toy using fireworks. Something like that. But, like, not really. Don't do that. That sounds illegal nowadays. <laughs> uh, But really, do something like, go get a snow cone. Go for a swim. Just go sit in the sun. Like, do something that reminds you of being a kid again. And I think what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to go ride my skateboard around. And also, I want to go get a snow cone. We haven't gone to get a snow cone. We haven't this year yet, but we need to because it literally takes us like two minutes se- to walk. Seven minutes to walk there. Yeah, let's go get some cash this weekend. Let's go get a snow cone. That sounds good. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get a snow cone. I challenge you all to do the same. Do something to indulge that inner kid and sit back, relax, have a drink, and play some games. Close. Grab a drink. Damn it. Grab a drink and play some games. Grab a snow cone and play some games. There you go. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Okay, bye. Bye.